0: Welcome, 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 to the pods, cash
1: meet from the
0: Peter, you're back on the podcast again. You're becoming a recurring guest here. What's going on? Are you excited for today's show? Favorite match of all time?
1: Buzz in for today's show. I actually uh, feel like the cane of the podcast to the phenom of Spud. It's becoming, <laughs> uh, like to say, a reoccurring thing now. I think I'm three and three for these kind of uh, wrestling related podcasts. Buzzing. Yeah, really looking forward to it, mate. I've dredged uh, a head full of knowledge for an interesting match for us to talk about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the match you want to talk about is what? Tell the listeners.
1: So, obviously, I, I, as I said, I've looked through uh, a back catalogue of things that I can talk about, you know, for years and years and years, uh, as a quick answer to a question of what's your favourite match. It's always been... Triple H versus Undertaker at WrestleMania 17. But I actually gave this some time when you approached me and said, hey, we're going to do an episode about favorite matches. What what do you want to talk about? Talk about the build-up. Talk about the, the layer of the match, the way the match went through. There was only really one thing that came to my head straight away, other than obviously my immediate answer. And it was Terry Funk's retirement match from Res- Terry Funk's WrestleFest. In 1997, no disqualification, Terry Funk versus the World Wrestling Federation Champion, Brett the Hitman Hart.
0: Yeah, huge match, his retirement, WrestleFest 97, insane. Question for you, you are a Terry Funk fan. A lot of our listeners and a lot of even the guys I have on really started watching WWE or WWF or even WCW around the sort of 97, 98, 99 mark onwards. Terry Funk, obviously, is a huge name in professional wrestling, but at that particular time, maybe wasn't as well known as some of the others, just based on how the how maybe the business was going. Why Terry Funk?
1: Well, it's interesting, really, because I fall into that same bracket as you guys. You know, I mean, obviously, I know on past episodes I've said you know memories cast back to '92 and things like that, but Terry wasn't around in in '92 in the WWF. You know, he wasn't even on uh, WCW when that was available over here. You know, his first stint in the WWF was in 1986, I believe, when he was tagging with Dory, and Dory was called Hoss, and they were the Funk uh, the Brothers. So he wasn't really around. What really did it for me was me and a friend uh, at high school. Uh, his name is Paul. Paul Fitz, great guy. We used to talk about wrestling all the time, and during IT... We go on all of the sites and one thing another. and another. And a website really that I've grew up with for news and one thing and another, the dirt sheets, quote unquote, not you, Dave, um, was <laughs> Lords of Pain. Now, Lords of Pain has obviously now changed to wrestling headlines or wrestling news. But I grew up with it, you know, from 14, 15, 16. I was crushed quite recently when they changed to wrestling news. I even tweeted them about it. I was like, guys, you've broken my childhood. They advertised a a VHS, and it was a behind-the-curtain, more or less, VHS. Uh, It's a very well-known independent wrestling film. Uh, I'm pretty sure you have saw it yourself. If anybody's listening and you haven't saw it, I implore that you go out and buy it. Look on YouTube. It's available on DVD. It's definitely on YouTube because I've watched it myself on there today. It's called Beyond the Map it was by an independent filmmaker called Barry Blaustein and he literally broke the fourth wall with that video and it exposed things to, to myself, you know, and my friend Paul and millions and millions of other people across the decade since it's been out the decade of things that we never knew before. You know, it gave me my first exposure to independent wrestling, to APW, to uh, guys trying out and being signed for the WWE, how the process works. It, uh, exposed me to ecw which in and of itself exposed me to terry funk
0: yeah and then from there obviously you were exposed to terry funk you obviously went back seen some of his stuff looked into him read his books looked into his heritage looked into his the wins the nwa title wins and on and on and on it goes but here you have terry funk versus what, uh, someone who's considered a GOAT by a lot of people, someone who's in that GOAT conversation. Well, both are, respectively, in in different ways. But here you have Bret Hart versus Terry Funk, WrestleFest 97. This is your all-time favourite or definitely up there for you. Talk to me about WrestleFest 97.
1: The the, the first thing that I love now as a 34-year-old man about WrestleFest 97 was this was one of maybe five or six... Retirements for Terry Funk. You know that that guy's itch could never stop being scratched. It was unreal. Um, I'm pretty sure that if his health was in a greater condition now, he'd still probably be in Japan working six months now. Um, <laughs> you know, off the back of uh, Beyond the Mat. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of footage. You know about Terry in Beyond the Mat. Obviously, around the time of the filming of the documentary. Their help, it's the build-up to ECW's first pay-per-view, and it shows you just how influential you know, Terry Funk was to the, the build-up and the initial setup of ECW. And there's a famous scene there for me, and he's in the doctor's office, and they've got scans of X-rays and things on on the uh, black boxes, the light boxes of his knees, and the doctor's saying, "You know, your your right knee, you know, you've got moderate." Um, you know, generative arthritis, you know, you should be able to get by the rest of your life just in chronic pain. Uh, Talk about his left knee and there, you know, there is no space between top bone, top of your leg and the bottom of your leg. You've got moderate to severe degenerative arthritis. There is no kneecap. There's no cartilage. You're just bone on bone. And he's just there saying, well, you know, if, if I put it off, can I, um, you know, can I live the rest of my life comfortably? They say to him, you shouldn't be living comfortably now. And <laughs> it was things like that that really kind of hooked me into him. I know that's kind of going back to the previous question, but it built the drama and the suspense for this match. Obviously, on that DVD was where he officially announced his retirement and the show. And then I went out of my way to get the, the DVD so I could watch the full match. And honestly, it's a match that if you're a wrestler or a budding wrestler or somebody that's got interest in something other than the modern product, I would implore you to watch because the psychology within this match is absolutely outstanding. The build, you know, the build up to it is that Terry Funk, it's his last match. He's going out on a high. He's wrestling the World Wrestling Federation champion. I mean, on this card, you know, there's some stellar, you know, stellar people from WCW. WWF, ECW, you know, things that promoters couldn't do, he did. But that match with Brett was unbelievable. It started with, you know, them both coming out to the ring. Obviously, Terry was seconded by Dory Funk. Brett initially, I will say initially before I move on, came out on his own. Yeah. And, you know, Terry Funk, uh, Paul Heyman and the ECW guys came out made a big sh- uh, schmaz about ECW and how without Terry Funk it wouldn't be a thing. And they then presented him with a replica of the ECW belt, gave it to him as a lifetime achievement. And then Brett took the stick. Now, there's an interesting point about Brett's timeline within this match. Yeah. In in a dirty auditorium with 4,000 people in it in 1997. Putty, it was only two months before Brett would get quote unquote screwed out of the World Wrestling Federation Championship yeah. and would be left and would be gone from the WWE for, for decades it, it, it's crazy honestly when you think about. I don't know I said decades obviously it wasn't decades it we at 97 to, to when he came back yeah. uh, in the late in the late tens of the twos you know he cut a promo and to be fair the promo was very sincere. If you've ever read Brett's book, Patsy, I know you've just uh, finished reading it or you're coming to the end of it yeah, now. Yeah, i finished, but yeah. Brett, Brett writes, it's a great book, isn't
0: it? It's phenomenal. It's you know, Brett, uh, it's probably the best wrestling book I've ever read.
1: Brett writes in that book with affection, as he mentioned in this promo about, you know, going to the boys club that Terry Funk's dad, uh, Dory Senior, wrote. Sorry, um... Held in Amarillo uh, as a child, you know, he'd be sent down there and have some good memories and fond memories down there, you know, and he respects Terry Funk. He was honoured to be there, obviously, when he took the stick straight away. That vin- that venue was full of smart fans. Yeah. Um, you know, so hear, hear me out, hear me out. And the minute he said, I'm honoured to be here, the crowd flipped and changed straight away. And, you know, it was, you know, all the best with your retirement. Congratulations on your lifetime achievements. And then Brett did something that, even in this day and age, even if you're not doing a neutral promo to, you know, to show respect and homage to your opponent who's having his last match, he did something that doesn't always get done these days. These days, and it was a genius tactic. He closed out his line by quoting, uh, for, by me saying that he was going to give Terry Funk a quote Canadian ass whooping, and the crowd started to move him out of the building and right away at the start of that match he reaffirmed that he was the heel in that contest. And I mean, you know, you, you've obviously watched it yourself today, Potsy. you know, it was it was from a fine from a psychology point of view, it's a fantastic match. You know, what they start with a collar and elbow. You know, they spend the first five to eight minutes of the match just feeling each other out. Yeah. You know, at that point in time, Terry Funk's fifty three years old you know, Brett's 40, you know, there's no, it was a weird time, obviously within, within the industry there, obviously people were defined by age, you know, whenever, when Terry Funk eventually did come up after, ironically, this retirement match, uh, you know, he was always referred to as being middle-aged and crazy. They were always mentioned in his age, obviously Brett's exit from the WWE at 40 was based on his age, which is ironic considering now AJ Styles is like 44 years old. Um, <laughs> But that was the era we were in, and to me, it was two veterans trying to figure out who was going to come out on top, or who could start and lead this contest. And, you know, it started with the collar and elbow, there was a lot of corner work, there was a lot of ground work, there was a lot of pushing and pulling, and then Brett obviously led in with the charge. From from a psychology standpoint, Brett knew what he was doing because he went straight for Terry Funk's knees. You know, you only have to watch Terry Funk walk to know that his knees were his primary target. Yeah. Yeah, The master of the the sharpshooter knew what he was going for straight away and it was a good, strong lead into the contest.
0: Yeah, and it, it progressed all the way through. It wasn't like he would work on his knees and then randomly start attacking his shoulder or do, like, you know, a backbreaker or something. He purposely worked the legs, he worked the knees... He put on the figure four, he put the knee into the rope, he jumped down on top of it. There was so much in-depth of psychology of thinking, this is the story we're going to tell, that this man can't really walk anymore, and I'm going to put a bullseye on that knee, and I'm just going to attack it and attack it and attack it.
1: Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But there were little things on Terry's side, why, why Brett was obviously on the heat, there were little things from Terry's side that, again, are things... And and I, and I am going, guys, if you're listening, uh, I am going to be talking about psychology a lot because these are the things that I pick out from, from these matches that are things that I don't see a lot of anymore. When Brett was going for the knees, Terry was deflecting away. When Terry was getting up or was and Brett was picking him up, Terry was attacking Brett. Terry was always trying to get Brett off him. uh, And that psychology was big. Obviously, there were moments where Brett was beating Terry for a while. Terry was beating Brett for a while. One of the big things that I did uh, pick up after watching... I mean, to be fair, in all honesty, it's the first time I've watched The match for a long time. And like anything where you watch things multiple times, you see different things. I totally neglected to remember that goddamn Bruce Hart was at ringside. <laughs> How could you forget Bruce. screaming the whole match? I mean, I wouldn't mind if he was just screaming, but he was not, he was screaming down the microphone. If Bruce Hart would do anything to get himself over, it's unreal. Uh, Stu was there in in his wheelchair, and there was another Hart, brother, and I was saying to you off, off air, I couldn't picture who it was. It wasn't big enough to be Keith, and... Yeah. Images. It looked like Ross, so I assumed it may well have been Ross, which was interesting, obviously because Brett walked out on his own. But that, like I said, and you, as you know from reading the book, that kind of connection between the funks from Amarillo and the Hearts from Calgary and the and the Boys Club and on one thing and another, the two big iconic families coming together. It was good to see Stu and some of the other brothers uh, there, and. Um, I mean, it was a clinic. Yeah. You know, there was, it was, I mean, I think I clocked at one point. It went 55 minutes, you know. And like I said, the guy's 53 years old and it was, okay, it's my last match. I'm going out on a high. I'm wrestling the World Wrestling Federation champion, which at that point was, you know, the elite title to have. And he's holding Brett to two counts or no submissions for over 50 minutes. And the yeah.
2: yeah.
0: And what what did you think about the finish?
1: I think that it's the best. It's the best way to go. You know, it was uh, so. For those of you that are maybe aren't going to watch this uh, match, if we haven't sold it to you enough already, um, Terry gave Brett a back body drop. Just a simple back body drop. Ref went down for for a count. one. Two. Brett lifted his right shoulder up and the ref counted for three. Terry's shoulders were down. Brett won the contest. I'm getting goosebumps, literally, as I talk about it, mate. I know you can't see them, I know this isn't video, <laughs> but honestly, it that's the power of, of that contest. Terry went out on his back. If you know, it, it realistically it was you know, it it's the only way to go. You know, you've put in in an in an I in the in ironic terms, it was because it was on a different scale you know it wasn't like a big grand wwe event it wasn't used like what's an example i can give you like a kurt angle to baron corbin to, to put the younger guy over you know it didn't mean anything in that respect but from a legacy perspective from a history perspective from a pure wrestling standpoint it meant everything and I think that would have that was the way that Terry Funk would have wanted
0: it. Yeah, and it's interesting like I I we've talked about Brett's book throughout this podcast. He talks about that match in it, how he loved that match, how how he thought it was brilliant, how it would be in his one of his best matches ever. And having watched a lot of the old wrestling product during sort of Covid and quarantine and stuff like that I I've come to risk i I've always thought Brett's be very good. I've just come to realize how good he really was. And when you watch this match, I do put it up there as one of his best ever. It is phenomenal.
1: Absolutely. Without a shadow of doubt. And Without a shadow f- of that.
0: From a storytelling, from a psychology, from, from a, just a wrestling perspective, this was outstanding and we really? talked about it when you maybe you compare it to the modern stuff it's totally different but from a storytelling from a psychology point of view these are 10 out of 10s in this match you know you look at certain matches and even some of my favorite matches i would maybe rank it in terms of a storytelling like a 9 out of 10 and stuff like that this is a 10 the psychology is a I mean, 10 the story is a 10 phenomenal crowds into it i mean it's, only... it's, it's, hard, it's hard to find anything about this match to say that it wasn't good
1: exactly Exactly, and I'm glad that it's something that I brought to to the conversational table. I know you'd never seen it before, and I know you really enjoyed it, uh, and I hope uh, the other fellas, you know, I hope Neil, would watch it as well, and, and they enjoy it as much as I did. I mean, if, if you could kind of relate it in in modern terms, which isn't really that modern now on reflection when you think about it, I would maybe put it up in something that people can watch in terms of the storytelling aspect and the generalisation of it. It would be Ric Flair versus Shawn Michaels. Yeah. In terms of that old guy that is clawing for that one last victory who ultimately fails in his attempt to continue. Yeah. And, and, you know, not obviously talking about that match because that's not the one that we've uh, come to talk about. But in Parallels, Which is ironic considering it's Brett and Sean. Yeah. And Terry and and Rick who had their thing. It it was, yeah, both. But, you know, the one in particular, Brett and Terry, it's great. And, yeah, it, it was a pleasure re watching it again today so we could talk about it together today.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I had a lot of fun just watching it for the first time and seeing how good, how talented these two really were, especially when put together. Um, peter it's been an absolute pleasure as always
1: and i just want to thank you for your time today you're most welcome it's always a pleasure uh being on the show if you want to chat to me i'm on twitter you can find me at here it's different thanks guys
0: Spud, welcome back to the podcast. you're back again, the streak, as we've said so many times, continues, and another guest this morning has referred to himself as the Cian to your Undertaker, what's going on?
3: Who was that? Dare I, <laughs> dare I ask? <laughs>
0: You'll see uh, when the podcast yeah, drops.
3: No. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I'm happy enough to have a cane if I'm at that level in the podcast. you know, I'm doing something right.
0: the main event there the streak the phenom
3: the most important streak in wrestling
0: (laughs) spud today's topic favorite match or a match that stands out to you you've told me what you've picked i love it brilliant period in wrestling for Mm -hmm. the month or so in terms of the build-up what have you got the aftermath not so good we'll talk we'll touch on that what have you got why have you got it tell me
3: the shortest and best period of the 2010s, uh, it's CM Punk and John Cena at Money in the Bank 2011. I was dipping in now, like I've always said. I was really bad, but I would, I'd always liked Punk. I remember seeing his ECW vignettes and stuff like that. I was like, this guy actually looks interesting. And he's got Pepsi on his arm. I completely fell out of wrestling. I think us swans were all getting together and watching the at the fly at this sort of time. I don't know yeah. if that correlates, but we were definitely watching rumbles and stuff like that.
1: Yeah.
3: Um, but I wasn't watching it week to week except when punk went on to commentary at the start of light year, the end of the previous year. So just because I was so like drawn to him, I'd always liked him as a character. Then I heard about the pipe bomb and had it sky plus. I had it taped, T vote, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And, uh, watched the pipe bomb and i'm like oh my god this is actually a big deal for the first time in about 10 years something's actually actually matters and it feels real
0: yeah
3: um so from the the pipe bomb then the match happened way too quickly and everything sort of unraveled but like you said at the start that period that month it was like genuinely exciting to be a wrestling fan again probably yeah. since literally 10 years previous yeah. The invasion, so uh, yeah, loved it, loved the whole build up. Uh, punk was a star, Cena was a star. Uh, McMahon, I don't think McMahon really was needed in it, but you know, it was what it was. Um, yeah, fantastic match, fantastic build,
0: yeah, before and we, a
3: great but, match as
0: well. Just before you touch on the match, I just want to touch on something you said there when you said you thought McMahon wasn't needed, they seem to have a tendency. I mean you can maybe respond to this before we actually touch about the match but WWE seem to have a tendency to when something gets good or when lightning's in a bottle when something just works or it clicks and like this one for example Punk's pipe bomb and Punk being red hot you have Becky Lynch in her turn and her reinventing herself as the man and just doing her thing when something gets red hot they always feel the need to kind of overdo it and get too much of stuff going on in it and around it and about it and it seems to unravel very very quickly
3: well they've still got it in their heads about the whole uh, authority figure literally from 1997 we've been doing the whole runaround. the most successful feud they've ever had probably is austin mcmahon yeah and they've just constantly been trying to recreate it even smackdown a couple of years ago with shane mcmahon yeah. uh he started taking over Stephanie's always floating about telling the women that they're useless on the big screen every now and again yeah so I do think they overdo it and apart from anything else I think that there's a narcissistic thing with especially Vince where he does see I'm gonna get punted by Randy orton this is red hot I'm gonna get ran over by Stone cold this is red hot you know I think he likes ever since he came to the front of the camera. He's loved it, and he is more over than most of the quote-unquote superstars that they've got at the minute. So, I d- it was more it was more the him adding on that Cena got sacked. That's what annoyed me. It didn't need that. You could have had the contract signing with uh, CM Punk and Vince. That was all good stuff. Yeah, but whole you're going to get fired if you don't do it, we'll bring back Punk, but on one caveat, it's like, he didn't, he didn't miss a week, I don't think. Yeah. Like, he never did around that time, so, I just thought it was added, spice, on an already spicy, sort of chicken wing, you know what I mean, it's just overkill.
0: Um, it's one of those things too, I mean, you talked about like, the Cena thing, and it just not being, needed, and, if you don't win you're fired not being needed it was almost you know that stipulation always throws me back to or in in, in this case because we're going 2011 pushes me forward Um, the WrestleMania 29 the the Lesnar Triple H street fight and all of a sudden when Triple H is like if I don't beat you my career is over or your career's on the line or whatever it was from Heyman it's like oh you've just ruined the outcome but yeah this one they didn't because they they had the Cena get fired, but the ironic thing was he didn't miss an episode on Raw, and was it either the next night on Raw or two weeks later on Raw? Ray Mysterio won a tournament to become the new champion, and then Cena, Allah Hulk Hogan of was it WrestleMania Nine, comes the out and beats, it, yep. and beats him for the title. When you're supposed yeah. to be fired, it just it sort of just became oh, very quickly.
3: This is what I mean. It's It's like lightning in a bottle and they couldn't wait to smash it against the wall. <laughs> and uh, not only that, they dragged Per Ray in just to be a loser for a night. Yeah. Like he held it. He won it at the, like midway through the night and then lost it the same night to John. Yeah. John. Me and John are best mates. John Cena. <laughs> but it's like, why do that? Why bring CM Punk back two weeks? Why did he, he miss a week? He wasn't sacked. But the guy that was sacked didn't. It's...
0: Yeah. The,
3: they weren't expecting it. They weren't e- expecting the success. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, looking back, it was. It, people were talking about it again. Yeah. Like, Facebook was talking about it. People were sharing it. And I'm like, this. I don't know if this is real or not. You know, like, the Pat McAfee and Adam Cole? Yeah. You sent me the link, and I'm like, that's fake. Yeah. Straight away. You just knew. They cut his mic off, and I'm like, all oh, right. He was about to call Vince. Uh, a billion stuff that's actually said ring of ring of honor oh big deal and all this yeah so it felt real and i was in my 20s at this point and it was like refreshing i was yeah. back to being a kid again
0: yeah and we, we we talked about it felt real there is the even the entrances to this match it had a real feel in the context of even a boxing fight or ufc fight where someone's a hometown guy And the other person's just getting destroyed. Those entrances and the crowd reaction to both Punk and Cena, it it really did have big fight feel and it did feel somewhat of a reality type thing just because of how partisan the crowd was.
3: Uh, It felt like McGregor. It it actually felt like McGregor walking into Dublin. (laughs) Uh, It was that that big and then no matter who they were against, they're going to get booed. And I always compare... This entrance, I like John Cena. He didn't do the salute. He just yeah. walked down, got in the ring, was shadow boxing, which I've never really seen him do, but he was just like wasting time and all. The other one was the ECW one, yeah, uh, where he was getting booed out of the building and he just came in with his belt above his head. I wish he had done that. He was just defiant, putting his head yeah. down. Didn't care what I'm the champ, I'm the champ. Yeah. This one, he looked sort of proper panicked and worried. I'm yeah. a wee bit nervous but yeah big fight feel um, the crowd made this made this entire night, never mind just the match
0: Yeah, You've talked to me before about this week actually, about this pay-per-view it actually being a good pay-per-view because of the crowd but this match especially, this was a, a very good match that became a brilliant match and as you said the crowd, the drama, the storytelling the build-up, lightning in a bottle. What about this match drew you apart from the crowd was you enjoyed the actual match the work between the two
3: wrestlers yes uh, i mean i watched it back there for the first time in a long time today actually and just to get a refresher it's a bit sloppier than i remember there is a lot of mistakes you have punk falling on his on his ass when he's doing like the you know stand on your feet after an aa yeah you know, that reversal kind of thing. And there was a couple of times they were like tripping over each other and the dives didn't look... But it didn't matter. It yeah. didn't matter because of the crowd, because of the story. CM Punk was on fire. He looked like he wanted... They did like a suplex onto the outside from inside the ring. That never happens. Yeah. Uh, they always tried little things. Um. I, I just... Everybody's shouting that Cena can't wrestle. By this point, that was a non-factor. He could. Yeah. Some of the some of the moves his STF looks awful, but the reversal he got into the STF looks amazing. You know he has to work on some stuff. Yeah, but you shouldn't say he doesn't wrestle. And CM Punk played up there at the start as well. He was very cocky at the start, and he looked like he was enjoying himself the entire time as well. Yeah, until towards the end, where they're proper like raging. They can't get the win over each other. But I just it just felt real. Like I said. I can sort of predict uh I predicted that whole NXT thirty. Yeah. Um except the ladder match actually. I picked the wrong ladder match guy. But I just I can sort of look at a card and go, right, okay, this, this, and this is gonna happen because it's WWE and that's what they do. Yeah. This is the first time in a long, long time that I was like, I don't know what's gonna happen. And what happens if he does leave? And then that night he took a picture of the title in his fridge. Yeah. I was like, what? what's going on? It's yeah. like, you did not know. That's what drew me in.
0: Yeah. To go back to one of the points you made earlier, it was a little bit sloppier than what you remember. And I touched on this on a previous podcast, um, one of the wrestling childhood memories one, and I believe it was my conversation with Neil, where I talked about when certain wrestlers at times can do stuff and it doesn't look great and it doesn't look amazing and it does look a little silly and a little phony and a little stupid but because of who that person is and how over their character is it doesn't matter and that was clearly the case here with with Cena and Punk with some of the sloppiness and some of the little maybe little mix-ups and little botched moves and stuff like that but also to that point I I prefer it like that I prefer that reality that realness rather than maybe what we see now where the camera would cut it and then they would do it again. And then you can actually visibly see the cut on the screen when you're watching a pay-per-view. I I prefer that realness, but you talked about the realness of it is what drew you sort of back in at this period of time. I would like you to talk to me a little bit about maybe even looking back now fantasy booking, what you think should have happened with punk because I have a concept in my head where I would have said, Punk, we're going to actually pay your salary. You're going to pretend you don't work for us. And you're going to show up in Ring of Honor. You're going to show up in indie shows. You're going to get bookings on indie shows. And you're going to walk out with the WWE title. And we're going to bring you back around the Royal Rumble time. And when the winner wins the Rumble, you're going to walk out and hold the belt up or something like that. That was something that I felt they could have had for a long period of time. They could have drew that out for a huge WrestleMania match that's just my opinion what would you have done different obviously you're well, gonna say quite a lot from what they done but what would you have done
3: uh, just what you said there man no it was did it was, uh, <laughs> the, the he made an appearance at comic- Con I think yeah in that couple of weeks that he went missing yeah and that was just adding to it you're right if they hadn't have done it like he was gone for two weeks maybe it, just the longer you did it if you drag it out until the rumble awesome you've got literally 4 months of him with John Cena still on the belt like going to ROH going over to Japan that'd be nuts yeah um it's it's obvious or just don't do what you did <laughs> you know say if you want him to come back next month at SummerSlam because it's your second biggest pay-per-view have him come back next month but don't have him wrestle yeah have him sit in the front row (laughs) sit in the front row like have him just appear with the belt at the end with the new music instead of doing it on the raw a couple of weeks before and literally you picked out i think me and you've talked about that a couple of times and that's the only idea i've really got in my head is just keep him off for as long as possible and don't Screw over Ray for no reason. <laughs> <You> just <laughs> bury Ray. Ray. Just no reason to. That's his only WWE run. Yeah, Ray was
0: Awful. Ray was what Brad Hart of WrestleMania Nine. You're just here to get sort of <laughs> yeah. screwed over, sort of laughed at.
3: Poor guy. Yeah. He's only got one eye. <laughs> Do you know what I will said? Do you know looking back as well? Just very quickly, and I'll touch on it later with you, but, like, the commentators were awful. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yes, I, I said I, that to you. They annoyed me when yeah. I watched the talk.
3: Now, see, because you, you text me and says they're very down on Punk, see if you watch the first promo at the start of the pay-per-view, they were building Punk up to be a heel. They thought, everybody's has got. I don't know why they picked Chicago to do it, but they were, <laughs> like this guy's trying to take away your wwe belt are you gonna cheer for your w and it's like yeah we are he's from here we know the crack he lives up the road road from me <laughs> it's like and the boring just going well you know uh booker t just laughing every now and again this is meant to be the biggest match in wwe history yeah and they're going oh i just i just can't see either of them winning and then Booker T just laughing. And every time <laughs> Cena gets a move on Punk, King's like, woohoo, tap out Punk. It's like, that, that's not the way you should be
0: yeah, it getting did. on. I, I love this match. I love the cra- I loved everything about it. I loved Same. the story. But the commentary Same. does annoy me. I think it's it's too silly and too phony. And it undermines the seriousness of what this should and could have been to make it even bigger.
3: Booker T at one point just says I'm exhausted, but like didn't do it like this match is like so tense. Oh my god, you know like R- Maro Ronaldo. Yeah, he literally just went. I'm exhausted. Like <laughs> he just sounded fed up. Booker T, he's had enough. Like, yeah, Booker, right. We're nearly done, big man.
1: Just wait. <laughs> Imagine
0: but yeah, Booker, I. this is uh, Booker T being exhausted two hours and forty minutes in. Do a pay per view. Imagine Booker T in seven hour WrestleMania now. Booker T sort of left halfway through, put his headset okay. down, he's done.
3: Also, one very, very another way the famous sign is if Cena wins, we rap. Yeah, see, one that I saw <laughs> that's really, really not famous, but I hope it is soon. Yeah, is CM Punk is going to Muay Thai kick Cena so hard. That you're going to explode into billions of fruity pebbles now that was a gr- that was a grown 35 year old man that was holding that and it was all covered in glitter and it was so lovely and <laughs> the fact that i'm the only person that's ever seen that uh upsets me i paused it so i could write it all down <laughs> it's like muay thai why is it i tr- here by the way he wouldn't kick him that hard. I've seen him in MMA. There's nothing to work <laughs> about. And if this guy that made the sign is anything to go by, I don't think Chicago's going to riot either. <laughs> so everybody was safe, but it just re- really tickled me. But awesome match. Terrible commentators. Watch the whole pay-per-view because it's really good and the crowd's electric the entire night.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that whole synopsis. You've, put, you've just put it in a nutshell. Agreed, 100%
3: try to the less said about what happened afterwards the better
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely so jake you're back on the podcast it has been a while but you're here
4: back on the forgotten podcast
0: (laughs) the forgotten podcast that's you you're going to be the man from the forgotten podcast (laughs) our first topic is our favorite match and why or just a match that sticks out to you as something you love and enjoy. And why it's so special or why it's so unique. So over to you, Jake. What's going on? How's your day going? And let's get talking about these matches.
4: Nothing's really going on at the moment, mate. I, I really I just it. That's about <laughs> it for my Sunday. Yesterday I went and played golf. I'm terrible. Literally terrible. So wrestling <laughs> matches, I'm
0: Jake. Favourite
4: wrestling with,
0: match or a match that sticks yeah, out and why?
4: Favourite of all time is the rock mankind i quit match yeah royal rumble. you probably know more about it than i do <laughs> <laughs> but i just remember like the reason it's my favorite is because i used to watch it all the time It's was like the oh uh, the first like videotaped wrestling i had the royal rumble 99 so like for me even though you say always 2000 rumble 99 is my favorite 'Cause I've watched it over and over. July Win is the only one you have, you just re rewatch it and yeah. rewatch it and rewatch it. Yeah. And like for me the I quit match just never gets boring. Even now I actually re rewatched it only like two or three weeks ago and it's still for me the best I quit match of all time.
0: Yeah. It's quality. Like, Everything about story, its quality. Th-
4: and when you actually... as a child I didn't actually know the build up to the story, but when you actually go back and watch it, it built from like the fact that the rock turned. Yeah. To the corporate champ. Then Mick Foley was that lovable idiot who was the like Bane and Vince's side and everyone's like, You can never win the title then was it January fourth edition he won it? Yeah, on Raw where WCW and
0: Nick Foley's winning the title. Keep it on ours. <laughs> might as well keep our program on and they lost about and, two million viewers to go and see Foley win the title
4: uh, and that was when Michael Cole actually delivered a great little line didn't he he did
0: it was it was like uh, there's, very, there's very few Michael boyfriend. Cole lines that
4: stick out <laughs> should we do should you do a podcast of your love of Michael Cole <laughs>
0: oh, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't get off the ground I would do the yeah. intro and it would be silence <laughs> <laughs>
4: but no that was actually a good one he actually he actually called it well because you always think that's gonna be when you actually walk, watch it back You're like oh jr called it and it wasn't it was michael cole yeah because i think it wasn't at the time that jr was doing cerebral had cerebral palsy
0: yeah it was um and it, it, he was gone it was Cole and um king cole and king Austin came out to, well, in my opinion, one of the best pops ever in wrestling. The crowd oh, was just was so that. hot for it. The Rock was so was good a as a heel that everyone wanted to see him lose. Nowadays, you watch a show and you see the heel and you're like, oh, he's great. He's a slimy heel. You watch The <laughs> Rock and went, you're a scumbag and I want you to lose it. He was so good in his character. crowd was so into it. DX around the ring. Corporation around the ring. Cole and King were just probably... probably that was the best uh, King. Yeah, and they were firing all cylinders because they didn't have Vince McMahon in the rear because he was running about at ringside.
4: <laughs> <laughs> I was I to say, that was the best King because I remember like, when he won it, King was devastated, weren't he? That was when the, the heels were actual heels and you actually semi-believed that they didn't want like foley to win
0: yeah he's like this is the darkest like, day in the history of the company and he was screaming yeah. no 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 vince mcmahon's life is over
4: <laughs> <laughs> and vince mcmahon was crying when like austin came out wasn't it like, yeah
0: and then there was that little wow. funny thing where like people were holding vince back and austin was sort of laughing because the only had pinned the rock and then austin has that like he couldn't get out vince because all the corporations already threw the hat at him gave him the fingers and crowd just and that's, going crazy and Vince is like stomping his feet like a child screaming it, it was phenomenal everything about it was, and it, was amazing and,
4: and it perfectly set up for like The Rock getting back they did so many good matches at that point like in retrospect you think that Foley made The Rock but, but even the build up was like the empty arena match yeah. you had so many like I just thought Joe you know, like when you re-watch it you like it just brought out a side of The Rock you didn't Joe you know, like no like Joe you know, like how Cena right and this ain't the Digger Cena, you know, but do you know how Cena comes across you're know, like there's not a vicious side to him yeah like the rock what mankind did was bring the vicious side of the rock yeah like the chair shots, the, the the hit into the electrical you're like how much can Foley take yeah and it was like continuous it was like and the verbiage and how you like you're intrude and that he handcuffed him and then he's just smashing him and then Foley got some offense in and it was just a back and forth until The Rock dominated and then it was just like Will Foley ever quit?
0: Yeah, yeah, it was one of those ones and they couldn't really do it now. But remember they were like, um, I think it was one of the one of the commentators said something about and The Rock said he'll he'll kill him if he has to and then the King was like, yeah. I it would it wouldn't surprise you if The Rock killed him and then he was like, I'm fully stupid enough not to say I quit. <laughs>
4: But I remember. I don't know if it was true or not. And you might have to tell me. But I remember when I was younger and someone telling me, and like, I don't know who it was, that it wasn't that they made it so it wasn't Foley who quit. Yeah, so from what from what right I remember recording. again,
0: I'm not over I I'm not overly strong here in remembering back to the, the like every Raw and stuff. But if I remember correctly, it, it was the it was it was a tape. Um. Yeah. And, and that's sort of why there was the. There was the empty arena rematch, there was the rematch at St. Valentine's Day Massacre in a ladder match. I think these guys treated the title, it popped back and forth like a hot potato four times between Survivor (laughs) Series and the build-up getting to Mania. I think it was the The Rock won at Survivor Series, Foley was screwed out of it at Rock Bottom, he won it on Raw, Rock won it back at the Rumble. Can't remember who. What, I think Foley won it on either on a in the ladder match or at halftime heat or something like that. And The Rock won it back at, at somewhere else, and that was it till Mania. But I remember they, <laughs> they they it was like a hot potato, and it was funny because that sort of gets put down now. Like oh, you can't hot potato champions. And I think a lengthy reign is good, but every now and again you can have something that's so close so tight that people are into that you can't afford to hot potato and i think it actually worked here with foley and rock
4: i think it i think it worked and i think that what the story was was that the rock had to go to a place that he had never been to before to be ready for austin like i think the progression of the storyline was how far will the rock go to be champion yeah and that's what they were doing with the I quit match because if you think about how many chair shots like to win the title he would have to do that many chair shots and he was willing to do it Yeah. and that's what, this, there was no remorse the rock was no longer that baby face that they wanted I know he went heel before he went true baby face but he wasn't that guy where you're like oh he's the happy smiling, He there was a vicious side he was ready to do whatever because yeah. to make him credible to take on Austin you needed The Rock to go to that level which was why 99 was always good to me yeah because you and I always just loved it and I just always loved the ending with him Joe with the belt over Foley
0: yeah I thought yeah I did he got so much heat from that and the fact he was like back to the ring and was posing the top rope which was Foley's literally bleeding everywhere and being helped to the <laughs> back and stuff and Michael Cole going this is disgusting this is sick that helped sell it too yeah.
4: And then you wanted, and well, I don't remember, because I'm not going to lie, everyone's going to hate me, probably, but I was always such a rock, and I hated Austin. <laughs> like, <laughs> So, like, even as a child, you're like, oh, now you're like, oh, I can appreciate both of them, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then it was like, nah, rock's my dude, don't like Austin. Yeah. Right? But you can see what they were doing. They were building up the rock to a point where people wanted Austin to win.
0: Yeah. I think they they still seen Austin as their sort of their number one baby face at the time, and I think they were like. Well, got the. Let's get him. You're
4: gonna call me. Go you gonna call me a loser. But remember that you said, "Oh, it's the loudest pop in your memory." Yeah. I actually watched the ten loudest pops. Do you remember, like they're one of those little countdown videos yeah, yeah. on YouTube? And it was number one. Was it actually? Yeah, he came out in a cat, didn't he? He came out in a cat. Yeah. Sort of in his like, jeans, and he long sleeve t shirt, or something, he smashed him over the head with a yeah, it was the biggest pop that's of all insane.
0: time. Yeah,
4: it's popsy nose. <laughs> I know, I know, but that was, but that's because he had a neck injury, was not
0: it? Yeah, he was sort of starting to have issues with his neck and, and all that sort of thing. But he was the real number one baby face, and I think. It's a strange thing because I think when The Rock was slowly turning face maybe in 98 where he he had a little run in with McMahon and dropped the elbow on him and stuff before he turned to the corporate champion, you could see The Rock was getting the people too and all of a sudden you're going to have these two huge baby faces and I don't think WWE really planned for that, uh, The Rock to get that big that quickly as a face because he just turned and then they flipped him back to heel. And they were like, okay, let's capitalize on that. Let's get great heat. But let's remember we have lightning in a bottle here for whenever we want to turn it to create possibly, and people will argue, the greatest and most popular star ever. You know, when they did flip him back.
4: It's it's hard because the wrestling business was going down. Yeah. When he turned back. But he maintained it. Yeah. It wasn't as hot, but but going back to favourite matches, so that's my number one. Yeah. I'm going to do two honourable, one honourable mention. Yeah, shit. Sure. It was Kofi Kingston at the Elimination Chamber. Yeah. And I don't know why, right? but I just remember, well, we were at my place, weren't we? Yeah. I don't know. And I just remember, like, Joe, like, the anticipation, and for the first time in, like, years, apart from, what, five years since Daniel Bryan 2014, yeah. was it? Yeah. Yeah. That like you could actually feel like a crowd invested in a storyline. for yeah,
0: WWE completely invested, and especially and, when it got I, to those two as the last two.
4: Oh, there was a move, and I forgot what it was because I was me. I was getting our nuggets right, so everyone can know the story. <laughs> and I just remember this like screech from my couch <laughs> that you thought you'd won it.
0: Yeah, it was. He had a big thought, trouble in paradise and they'd yeah. sort of been building for about five six minutes and kofi hit this big move coming out of the corner went for the pin and i was like they, they're, they're gonna pull the trigger one two and when he kicked out i jumped i actually jumped up <laughs> to my head like oh <laughs> thought it, i thought it was it the, genuinely but, thought it was it but
4: that's, but that's why i was like on number two because it's like a, that's a physical palpable and when he lost i remember feeling gutted. Yeah, And I'm a 26-year-old man at this point, feeling gutted. I'm <laughs> like, they should have pulled the trigger.
0: I mean, like, they ev- they eventually did, and he got his WrestleMania moment. But I think, oh, I just, especially I just think because it wasn't moment. on last at WrestleMania, I I do look back and go, they probably could have done it at the Chamber because that crowd was so invested and then had like, Kofi have a very successful defense at Mania. Because Just because it wasn't on last, I sort of thought it would have... But I, I get why they did it at Mania and stuff too, but um, that Elimination Chamber one, I just felt you literally had the crowd in the palm <laughs> of your hand.
4: Yeah, well, you had me and you. Yeah. 26-and-a-30-year-old man in Canada <laughs> on the edge of our seats. <laughs> yeah, true. What
0: else <laughs> no, is Lincoln.
4: on your honourable mentions on list? Four it's hard because i don't want to nick anyone's though. <laughs> <So, laughs> if it is someone is else's
0: there will i'll just be like yep i agree and it's x persons and they will discuss it but far away who've you got i'd say triple h undertaker mini uh 28 or
4: helen helen so yeah yeah, I'm and how that <laughs> I'll, yeah. All right. All right, mate. Okay, <laughs> relax. Don't, no one wants a little big up of yourself. <laughs> but I just remember the super kick into the pedigree, and I thought it was done. Yeah. It's always those moments, ain't it? They should be your favorite. because like, people always go classic five star matches, and it's like, no. It has to be those moments where you think it's over and they've absolutely screwed you. Yeah. So yeah. like, the Undertaker, you like. The, that moment when he hit him and you're like he screwed him, he absolutely screwed him yeah. and he kicked out and you're like no way <laughs> yeah, it was,
0: <laughs> it was so good I, I actually tweeted about this a- the other day to Alex McCarthy, he he said something about it, uh, about it being like one of the craziest near falls ever and I said yeah I agree and I remember I was in the car and a couple of rows behind me, I think it was actually one or two rows behind me, two guys started arguing over that near fall like shouting and screaming at each other one was for taker one was for triple h and hulk hogan in character who was sitting four rows in front some cosplay hulk hogan came running up the stairs and said brother you stop fighting right now in character was telling them off as hulk hogan and all during this match going on it was amazing
4: <laughs> oh man, wrestling crowds are the best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> like, sometimes I don't know whether people think it's real or not, and I just go think go with the flow, boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Pretend it's real for the three yards you're standing there. You got you got you got Hulk Hogan arguing with an Undertaker it's splitting up we should have had that as like a little intermission break for you lads. Yeah, she said triple H shot, hold it up, get these lads
0: in the ring here. <laughs>
4: Hulk Hogan <laughs> no, in as a referee. One... But like uh, any of other... I always like the tag matches between DIY and what are they called nowadays?
0: The revolt or the revival. revival at the time.
4: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Huge
4: huge. I always love I always love the it's hard because like it's not there's not really much that makes you like call out to you yeah and that's been a big issue with wrestling the last year there's nothing that has that like connection where you're like poor i really want someone to win yeah now you're just like uh it's all right can we give some honorable mentions of the worst matches (laughs) (laughs) that's gonna be another
0: podcast but yes we can But for now, Jake, thank you so much for your time today. We have your number one, your standout, The Rock, Mankind, Royal Rumble, 99, I Quit Match. Unbelievable. Jeff,
4: as they would say back home. Thanks for having me on, man.
0: We have talked in detail Money in the Bank. We now need to talk about SummerSlam. 2001 one of my favorite matches it's a go-to for me every now and again if i just want to watch a wrestling match and i don't know what to watch i would throw this match on the wwf title middle of the invasion Heel, stone cold steve austin versus universally loved adored olympic united states hero kurt angle what a match what what a, a match match
3: yeah, what a fantastic match. Tell us, why does it stick out for you? Like, Why is it your go-to when you want to watch a match like that?
0: The only thing I can say is the storytelling of it. Obviously, I was invested in the two characters. I've always been a huge Austin fan, even when he went heel. I didn't care. I loved him. But this was... He was still getting... And Austin talks down about his heel run and being like, he, he didn't really get booed and he wasn't really over as a head and stuff. I thought at times he was. <laughs> you know, I'm not to disagree with the person who was in the role, but Which at times he... I do think he was. There was times I thought he did get great heat and he did get booed and he did get eyes on the product and he did get his opponent over. Now I've listened to a couple of different podcasts recently. I listened to um, Jim Cornette talk about the Austin Bret Hart match and I watch along I listen to Bret Hart Steve Austin talk about it and I watched that match recently and now that I watched that match i seen little glimpses of the psychology of what Bret and Austin were doing at Mania 13 in this match in terms of the viciousness of the heel to, to generate the sympathy for the baby face and to get him even more over and that's what I meant by the psychology and the storytelling I just thought everything about it was so, so good. The build-up was amazing. That There was no... That Austin had him banging off the ring post and Angle caught him in the ankle lock atop of the ramp on SmackDown. The crowd was into it. I just thought it, it was so, so good. But the match itself was just a vicious, like mm-hmm. vile, stone-cold who just didn't care how he beat Kurt Angle. He just had to beat him. And that... Part where he hits he hit a stunner quite early on and yeah angle sold the stunner so well he sort of bounced out of the ring he went through the sort of i think it was the between the second and the bottom rope to the outside and you seen austin a bit like banging the ring as if like damn he's he's went outside and i thought that was a brilliant sell by angle and then austin went outside the ring and just went psychotic on him the ring post was it three four times into the ring post the busted angle open. I don't know if that was a work or if that was legitimate about the bleeding, but it looked amazing. They went into the crowd, they fought for a bit, and then that part where Austin's climbing over the barrier to get back in and Angle just pops up and puts the ankle lock over the barrier and Austin is screaming and writhing and rolling. The crowd's popping, the commentators are going crazy and there's a close up of Angle's face with the blood pouring out and that's what that's where another sort of throwback to Mania thirteen I felt. You know, you're yeah. going here, let's generate the sympathy here. But this time it's the bloody baby face who's got the guy in the submission and Austin screaming in pain and they eventually end up back in the ring and stuff like that. I just everything about it, I thought the characters, how they played, the crowd reaction. I'm not a huge fan of a DQ finish. I love the finish to this match. Absolutely love really? it. Loved really? Love it. Really? Okay. Yeah. When Austin couldn't beat him. And he was like, I'm gonna get myself disqualified. So he nails the ref, and then the next ref comes in and goes, I'm not disqualifying you. You have to beat him (laughs) and then he and then he like hits him another stunner, another kick out. Angles that baby face that just won't stay down. But Austin's that violent heel that there's that part of the match, I think it's Austin standing above him, hands on the hips, and Angle's like starting to crop and Austin starts like slapping him to mock him a little bit. And then Angle, I think, nails him with an angle slam and austin just about kicks out and then another ref comes in and out of nowhere austin just stuns the ref or nails the ref or something (laughs) and jr's in perfect jr mode like what
4: the hell
0: like what is he doing and um it just it's all sort of going crazy and then obviously with the invasion going on was it and nick patrick runs in and he knows austin's bait and he can see it and he's like nah ring the bell he He goes to do
3: the pit he goes to do one and teases the crowd i thought that was one of the best things ever he goes ah nah straight over ding ding ding
0: yeah what a guy and then you that there's the one of the images i think sell it so well of how good angle was how violent austin was but how he knew he was beat was when angles grabbing nick patrick sort of by the collar like what have you done what have you done there's that it's flips query very very quickly to an image of austin kind of like jogging hopping away down the aisle with the belt you know almost like i I'm like I'm, I'm getting out of here before he sees me type thing and angle obviously with the the ankle lock on nick patrick and the, the blood and the big giant woo and stuff I, I love it everything about this match i absolutely love um i talked to peter earlier about terry funk brett harp you'll hear it on this podcast it's from a psychology storytelling point of view phenomenal again this from a different way But a psychology and storytelling point of view and to generate heat, to generate interest for the next pay-per-view. Amazing. I love this match. The only issue I have with WWE in this match is it didn't close the show. But I understood The Rock was back and he was winning a belt. So he sort of, it was fair enough that he closed the show. But And DQ
3: finished as well. Probably isn't a great way to end it. But yeah, I know what you mean.
0: Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and Austin coming out to that like odd, stone cold heelish kind of music, and Angle jumping out of the ring and standing at the bottom of the aisle being like, "Hurry up, get down here!" And then they meet in the
3: middle of the aisle, start just start going at it. Love everything about it. A couple of things. Uh, see the, I forgot it was because he was jealous of Kurt getting a hug. on yes, Vince McMahon he started the whole thing. <laughs> it was like you're. I'm underappreciated. A couple of things, Patsy i always consider me and you to have pretty similar wrestling tastes so i'm gonna throw you a couple of things here just because we've done 10 years apart our matches but work with me here right so first up it's a disgruntled employee who claims he's been (laughs) underappreciated and shocks shocks the world by turning his back on the company right yeah with Vince McMahon's back against the wall, he turns to a self-proclaimed American hero <laughs> to fight for him. Will Vince's man bring back the gold? And more importantly, what does the future hold if if he loses? <laughs> we watched the same match. This is why I text you saying I hate you. Because basically, <laughs> I text you because I watched these back-to-back. I did Punk Cena, then the SummerSlam. Yep. And you had better commentators. I thought my crowd was hot, but then I forgot the Attitude Era. So yours was as loud, and I'm just not used to crowds. <laughs> um, That spot, even the spot that you said about he got the stunner and fell out of the ring, CM Punk hit the knee, hit the GTS, and yep. John Cena fell out of the ring. But instead of the commentators going, oh, no, like JR cracking up, going, oh, he had him, he had him. Or whatever the other way around. Yeah, it's just Booker T. Just goes, ah, Cena meant to do that. He he always <laughs> knows where he's at. I was literally, I was watching this, going, this is like a younger version of the CM Punk match. If you watch it back, it's weird. There's weird comparisons. Yeah. I just thought that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, never even thought about that, but you're right. It's funny and the and the whole. It's interesting too, like the way you've we talked about it. And you mentioned that they're like the pro American hero. It's almost like the cheap way of being like, I I know what'll get them to cheer. He's an American hero." After yeah. you know, after Kurt Angle, it's his first face run in WWE. After sort of being like, "Here's this annoying guy who's gonna remind us all he done about America for." The past three years now, it's like he's an American hero. Cheer him!
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like this international company, but the focus on America so much. <laughs> Your commentators weren't biased, comparative. I mean, they were putting jives in against each other, but you had like, right? You had King in my match would just go, "I don't know what these guys all see in CM Punk." Yeah, but then you had Paul Heyman and yours going, "Listen, I know that Kurt Angle's a wrestling machine. You do not win an Olympic gold medal." Yeah and jr's going well i know that stone cold's one of the toughest sobs ever i know him trust me i know yeah and it's like you can still disagree and agree without making everybody look like a loser yeah do you know what i mean so yeah i watched it i was really glad i watched it i forgot it ended in an dq what a match fantastic did you check the star ratings
0: i didn't i did not check the star ratings but one thing before you tell me because i'm assuming you did because <laughs> i brought it up <laughs> <laughs> what what I was
3: what I another
0: thing that I love about this Austin Angle match was this is in the middle of the invasion and there's always stuff going on and pay per views at this particular time were famous for run ins. You, know, you even had a run in in the Rock and Sheen match as well, which was quite good because it tied into a match that happened earlier in the night. But they didn't have any loads of members from the Alliance, Hales running down to help the Hail, and they didn't have any faces from the WWF running in the chase away of the alliance they left it to be a story between these two who generated a lot of heat and a reason why they hated each other over the past three months and i know that obviously nick patrick cost it with the dq and all that sort of thing and you could say how oh, there's a bit of a run in there but i'm talking from like a superstar standpoint it was just a very good story between these two and I've listened to a lot of Austin's podcasts. I've listened to a lot of interviews with Angle, and I always find it baffling that these two never talk about this match. Yeah. You know, you hear. Did they have
3: another couple of matches?
0: Yeah, the September 11th, obviously, 2001, was shortly ah. after SummerSlam. And I don't know if it was meant to happen or not because they switched the title back so quickly. But remember, Unforgiven, Angle beat Austin for the belt, and then the whole locker room came out and celebrated with Angle, and then, was it? Eight days later on Raw, Austin beat him to win it back. So I'm always curious. I don't know if Angle was ever supposed to win that title. It was maybe a a sort of Olympic USA thing, given obviously what had had happened. But yeah, they did follow up. And I remember being really excited for the Unforgiven one, and it it wasn't great. And I was always a little bit disappointed in that. But this SummerSlam one was was absolutely tremendous.
3: Yeah, agreed. It was a lot shorter than I remembered as well. Yeah, it was. But, uh, yeah, just seeing the, those two back to back, those two matches. I completely forgot about this match. Like you forget how good some Summer Slams are. Yeah, and yeah, it's a fantastic match. It's a great shout when you told me you got it. I was just like, yeah, that'll be great to watch back. Yeah, um, so but you... I think Kurt Angle's a brilliant baby face. He does, He never get used in like a serious baby face role enough. I don't think. Yeah. there's always a comedy baby face or a hill so he was, he's amazing see when he just pulls the straps down and starts screaming i'm like yeah go on go on kurt yeah i'm uh, behind him yeah absolutely and i think
0: the bit of it too is you talked about the realness whenever we talked about yourself and you know punk and scene in the match and what, what you loved about that the fact he is yeah. a legitimate olympic gold medalist and the fact he did break bones in his neck and stuff whenever you yeah. see him pull the straps down and scream you do get that like yeah, okay, I, I can buy into this. It's almost a bit like the Lesnar factor. Well, Lesnar comes out and he's, he's doing stuff around. There's the believability factor about it.
3: Yeah, yeah, even to the point where he's actually elbowing Randy Orton in the head.
0: Yeah, yeah, another uh, summer. Yeah. It, another SummerSlam.
3: <laughs> yeah, right enough. Yeah,
0: um, good show. You talked about the the star ratings.
3: What did okay? I only saw mine and yours yeah i only checked because i didn't know everybody else's uh mine's five star it was the last five star that he gave a main roster one to yeah and yours is four okay which i was i was quite shocked at. i thought it was going to be more i was thought four and a half just where it was in the card and how good and yeah. maybe the finish you know what he's like with uncle dave's like with dq finishes
0: yeah whatever you said for i was like okay that's fine because i was expecting like a 2.5 because of the finish
3: <laughs> No, i know no, it wasn't that bad it was too good of a match like you said all the moments see at the start of the match they go straight outside the ring and i was worried because i thought it was just going to be a brawl in the crowd for like 10 minutes yeah but they just get in bell rings straight down to work and it was fantastic start to finish
0: yeah i just thought it really for me anyway as a he lost in where he says himself, a lot of people didn't want to boo him and stuff like that. I find the viciousness came across in this match off a heel. Where he really looked a heel. Whereas there were times during this run, you sort of feel like he, oh, he's just playing like a heel. It just didn't work. It didn't suit. But this one, I think, OK, he's a heel. He's acting like a heel. He is a heel. He's doing heelish things. He's not just playing the heel. Which at times is where I think his heel run... Although I liked it, I think it fell down a little bit because there was you just times you felt he was trying too
3: hard to be a healer, playing it. Whereas this just looked legit. Well, there was uh, remember he attacked the Hardy Boys and Lita, and it was yeah. just awful. And Triple H and him were just beating Lita up. I was like, this is too much. This is just like a snuff film. Yeah. And then it's either that, and a couple of weeks later, he's talking to Deborah about his cookies. Yeah is that i'll eat the cookies i'll eat the cookies
0: yeah and and then it's
3: then you, like, him, you know pick your lane kind of thing
0: yeah and then you know what him and angle were run about with cowboy hats on and 10 yeah. stars which is which is very funny but it just doesn't it didn't sit well with as you said the viciousness the run about with well. chairs smashing people with chairs yeah
3: yeah it was very confusing time but yeah fantastic year for wrestling fantastic choice man yeah proud of you
0: <laughs> thank you sir no <laughs> <laughs> worries Spec <laughs> by check in the mail. Um, but, Spud, it's been an absolute pleasure as always.
3: Uh, yeah, th- th- thank you very much for having me on, as usual. As always, uh, we're, we're, I love it. We're maintaining the streak
0: on the wrestling edition of the podcast. I'm your host, Darren. We're talking to Spud. It's been an absolute pleasure as always. So, Neil, welcome to the podcast. You're back again, the wrestling edition of the podcast. What's going on?
2: Good, thanks. Uh, I've had a good weekend, uh, for obvious reasons. Arsenal went in the Community Shield, so I put a smile on my face, but I'm looking forward to coming on again and talking about some wrestling.
0: Bit of Jim Cornette there, Neilers.
2: Oh yes, uh, I'll <laughs> try not to rant as much as them, but... <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, topic today, favourite match and why, or a match that sticks out, or a match that means a lot to you. Obviously for us, we've, we've been to a couple of WrestleManias, we've been to three of them that we were at together... I'm assuming you're going to go with a match from one of these WrestleManias, and I think I could pick which one it is, but I'll let you do the glorious introduction.
2: Okay, so yes, you are right, and I'm pretty sure you know which match I'm going to talk about here. But I've actually sort of divided this into two, because if we're talking about childhood memories, obviously the Attitude Era for us was like the be-all and end-all So I'm going to talk about it first and I'll I'll touch on it briefly uh, before getting into my my main event. (laughs) So do you remember back in 2001 after the rocket went off and Triple H and Austin had joined together with McMahon and they had the two-man power trip and they got into this brilliant feud with The Undertaker and Kane? One of the best matches, and it's not... It's not a masterpiece by any stretch of the imagination but just for the storylines the storytelling and the build up to it and you know the stipulation to it the tag team match between Taker and Kane and Austin and Triple H and all the belts were on the line for me just sticks in my head as something that as a child I loved like it was unbelievable like and you were going in there thinking like oh my god like what's going to happen here like Kane and Taker are the tag champs Austin and Triple H you know, I've got the WWF and IC titles. You know, everything's up for grabs here. And you were like, this. Well, in my time of watching wrestling, I had never saw that before. So it was unique, and the crowd loved it. And you know what it's like. You know, after WrestleMania, there's always a dip in storylines and creative and all. But this was just after WrestleMania, and it was like, this is amazing. It didn't. When you think about it, considering Triple H and Austin have been feuding a few months beforehand. Mm it didn't actually make any sense, but you didn't care about it. You didn't care about it because it was so engaging and chaotic. And each week, it was like Triple H and Austin were like hitting people with sneak attacks and beating up the Hardys and beating Lita up and all. And then The Undertaker and Kane got involved. And then it was always funny because Austin was always, you know, the toughest SOB in the planet and all that sort of stuff. And then, suddenly he turned and like the next thing he was running away and all. You know what I mean? He was running away from Undertaker especially. And, you know, they had there was a great build up, you know, to that. There was the snake attacks and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, I always just remember going into that match and it was just chaos.
3: Well it's
0: funny when you look back at it and anytime you hear Austin talk about his heel run and I've listened to quite a number of his podcasts, he always talks about it in a negative sense he said he didn't like it, crowd didn't want to boo him, he didn't get any heat and if he could go back in time he would change it and never go heel but, and I said this to Spud when we're talking on the chat with me and Spud I and it's funny because I say this, Austin obviously he was there, he knows, if that's his opinion obviously um, he's probably right but for me as a fan, I disagree with them. I loved the heel run, and I thought it was funny. I thought it was different. Spud made a point, and I agree with Spud. To the other point it was a bit—you didn't know which heel Austin to sort of go with. Like one week he's smashing people with chairs and was ultra violent and psychotic, and then the next week he's running away. It was almost a bit, you know, multiple characters of this heel. It didn't really make sense, but as you said, it it was fun. It was engaging. It was different. And uh, if there's one thing I don't mind wrestling doing is it's trying to be different, is to try something new, to try something different, to try and engage a crowd in a way maybe that it hasn't been engaged before. I don't mind different, at least the attempt off it anyway. But as you said, the crowd were into this. I watched the match maybe just over a week ago and Austin said he wasn't getting any heat. He might not be getting a great deal of heat, but the people he were up against. We're getting great pops. Taker and Kane came out, uh, an amazing ovation. You know, they were really hot baby faces getting into this, which was really really fun. I thought, I just thought it was a very fun little program. You know, as you said, after the lull of mania.
2: Well, this is it. Like, I, I, sorry, I know you're talking there about Austin. That obviously at this stage, before Triple H get injured and stuff, like him and Hunter were running around wrecking people and. Obviously, because of injuries, the Triple H and even Austin himself. It, Austin's heel run. It turned into more of a comedic heel run, like with petitions, with he didn't want to defend his title and all, and a triple threat, and his feud was spiked up and all yeah. it's, so, it's so ridiculous. But at this stage, like as you say, you know, the crowd loved it. Like it was, it was amazing. You know, going into that, and even the match itself, like Triple H and Austin, like you know the. They won by cheating and all, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there was the sledgehammer shot, and all, But do you remember, even during that match, Stephanie McMahon got involved, and Kane hit her this unbelievable big boot.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right.
2: Like, and it was like, wow. But, you see, one of the things I always liked about the American Badass Taker was he had this sort of, like, believable streak and him where it, it would cut to him, and he'd be swearing, and you could, you could lip-read what he was saying, and at the end of it, you know... He's tending the cane at Austin and Triple H are literally like crawling out of the arena with all the belts. And I'm, like <laughs> it's it's scroll, the camera scrolls the Undertaker and he's like giving dropping the F bomb and all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And there was that there was that bit of realism about that feud. And then and then it extended to Judgment Day as well, you know, where they had the singles matches too. But
0: yeah.
2: um I, I just thought I always remember that feud and thought this is really, really good gripping television. At the time, the match wasn't like a five star classic, but you didn't care. The storytelling was unbelievably good.
0: Well, that's that's going to be a theme with yours. Obviously, I think I know what your your main event match is, or you're the one you really want to talk about is. And the what I'm finding with yours, and everyone has a different different reason to why matches stick out. You know, for for maybe for for Peter, it was a lot about the psychology of the match and how it was put together and the believability of one one person attacking another person's kneecap because that person had bad knees and, and on and on. Spuds was about what drew him back into wrestling after not being too interested in it. And a case of, is this real? Is this not real? Like, what's happening here? Whereas yours is very... You're drawn to stars. I think you're drawn to star power. So even if the match isn't great, the fact that there's two people in there that you want to see fight or you want to see in your TV or... Charismatic on a microphone, or can cut an interview, or can cut a promo, or maybe they just do something that's a little bit different that sets them apart from just a wrestler. If I can put it that way, you're drawn to maybe more star par matches, is what I feel.
2: Yeah, and um, you wouldn't be wrong at all. Um, and when you're saying there about cutting promos and being charismatic, I think you know who we're who we referring to here, and <laughs> uh, obviously. The match I'm going to go for is The Rock versus John Cena at WrestleMania yeah. 28. And absolutely, I was talking and about
0: John Cena in that because his build up and his promos is <laughs> absolutely superb.
2: Well, this is it. Like as I said to you before, like I know it's a wrestling show, but and oh, okay, you know, primarily uh, the product is wrestling. But to me, if you can't get invested in the characters, but each week, even in the build up to that match some of the promos from John Cena were amazing, and you know, he was doing the rapping and all that sort of stuff, he brought that back, and then the next week, The Rock would have The Rock concert and stuff, and it was great TV, and even you know, I was laughing uh, about this to DT last week, and you know, it was actually him that started talking about the Rock concert. He was going on a night out, and he mentioned something about the Rock concert. It was, like, watching it. And then I went back and watched it, but do you know which the, the one I liked as well was the Rock's Boston Tea Party? And he cuts the <laughs> promo up the river and has the John Cena garden gnome on chucks it into the river. Absolutely hilarious. But, yeah, even the build-up to the Rock Cena, uh, like, from the year before, like, now, that was the first WrestleMania that we went to, 28, but it was when they announced the year before that they were going to have that match. Like I'm sure you can recall yourself. That yeah. was the one we were like, right, this is it. If we're going to go into Mania, we're going to this one because the Rock Cena will be the biggest main event of all time because you've like arguably the Attitude Era's main star um, or maybe joint main star against this era's main star. And to be honest, it's probably the last star the proper star they really had and um, and it was massive and like the match itself it wasn't a five star classic but it was never going to be like that it was all about it was all about the crowd and working the crowd and you know hitting the power moves and all that sort of stuff it was never going to be a tactical or technical a technical master class and you know you, you know yourself even being there when we were going into the stadium there was a it was like a you knew there was like a big fight feel, like you could feel it. I know it's parting the pond, but you could feel the electricity. Like, do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, there was um, definitely a palpable sort of energy there because there was this concept of we don't actually know who's going to win, because even though it's Miami, this is their biggest. As you said, it's their biggest star they've created since the Rock and Austin era, and are they just going to have him? I know as we're not going. I hate using the word job out. But are they just gonna have John Cena, their biggest star of the last fifteen years, really, job out, just someone who's coming back for probably one match at that stage? And it really was this I don't know, and Vince always has this habit of put, of having the hometown star lose in their hometown. So there was this concept and this idea of like looking back now, I mean, I said I fancied the rock from the get go and a standby that and i thought it was always going to be the rock but as the match went on there was a couple of false finishes you did get that like oh maybe they're not going to the rock here and there was this every pinfall especially after a big move was properly like hold your breath style you know, it was this going to be it
2: yeah that's it like i mean obviously like you, you said there you know you thought rock was going to win i thought rock would win as well but i think we were like two of the very few people that actually thought that because most people would have thought what you've already said there's no way like they're going to have Cena lose it will be a pass of to the torch but to me like because I love The Rock so much like I just couldn't fathom like him losing to John Cena I was just like no because The Rock is better than John Cena I can't have it and but even there, like, you know you're, yourself, at that WrestleMania, there were, like, fans fighting amongst themselves, like, who's going to win and all that sort of carry on. And you're just like, all right, lads, calm down. But <laughs> it was one of them ones you didn't know who was going to win. Now, the crowd was more or less pro-rock, but you always get people are cheering and seeing it as well. But yeah, it was just amazing. And as you say, all the near falls and stuff, the psychology of the match was second to none. Like, you know, you had the build up. Like, now I know what I know you touched on it before in a previous podcast with DT about you like that they had the music before each entrance, uh, and it was uh, like Machine Gun Kelly and Flo Rider playing, yeah. And that even when Machine Gun Kelly came out to introduce John Cena, Machine Gun Kelly fired pops at the rock like he was having digs out of it all he was booed out the building too because he
0: represented john cena as soon as he walked out before he even got to the mic it was like here comes machine gun kelly to play john cena's the theme for john cena's promo video and all of a sudden because he's just associated with john cena the hometown crowd's like yeah
2: exactly so um it was always built as once in a lifetime and i know obviously that became twice in a lifetime but the whole once-in-a-lifetime tagline for it, you know know yourself in the match cards that they would have shown, you know, the preview WrestleMania, and just the way they had The Rock and Cena, and then they were, like, directly facing each other and stuff, you know, in it. You know, I always thought that was pretty cool, and the build-up and all was great, and I, like, to me, because we were there, because I love The Rock so much and all, to me, that's my favourite match of all time. It sounds... I know a lot of wrestling purists will be like, "Mate, you haven't a clue what you're talking about." But for actually being there, the atmosphere was unbelievable, and I agree. with exactly what you said about me already, I am drawn to star power. Like you know, it's a match. That's a match that would headline any WrestleMania because of the star power. And you know what it's like. They always want the big stars to, to close the show. It's the, it, it, you know, Rock Cena. It's the closest there's ever been to the Rock Hogan match at WrestleMania 18, yeah. which should have closed the show, and the fact that it didn't close the show was a travesty. But that was the Rock Cena match was the first one since Rock Hogan where it was like two stars of two different eras facing off against each other. Yeah. So it made it such a big deal for that reason as well. I'm sure even at the start of the match, Rock and Cena did the you know the staring at the crowd. Coves that yeah. Rock and Hogan have done as well.
0: Yeah. I mean there's the facts stand, it's the biggest WrestleMania of all time in terms of buy rates. And that is the Rock and Cena's doing because of the star power that they brought to that event. You know, there's no there's no denying that. Nobody was looking at that match. Obviously an Undertaker Triple H Hell in the Cell match helps, of course. But nobody's looking at WrestleMania and being like, Oh, I can't wait to buy WrestleMania to watch Sheamus and Daniel Bryan. If you know what I mean, people are buying that, whether they're huge wrestling fans, whether they're casuals that haven't watched in 10 years, The Rock versus John Cena. Even if you don't watch wrestling every week, you know who John Cena is. So when you talk about The Rock versus John Cena, you're buying that event. And that's why I think it's number one. But I want to throw a question at you. And I just want to see, I, I don't think it takes away, but I want to see your opinion. The fact that The Rock versus John Cena happened again the following year, does that in any way, shape or form affect or take away from the, from maybe the nostalgia or the grandness, I guess, of this WrestleMania and this match?
2: Wow, well, that is a hard question. Do you know what? I'll say... I'll sit in the fence and say yes slash no. I think no because... It doesn't like you didn't know that was going to come down the line, so it doesn't directly affect what happened that night. And because we experienced it firsthand, that can't be taken away from us or from anyone else that was in the arena at that time. I think it yes, it does affect it in the sense that because it was built as once in a lifetime, and it became twice in a lifetime. Now again, we went to WrestleMania 29. There was still. There was still a big field of that match, but you knew straight up that Cena was winning. The yeah. first match, you, it was so hard to call. It was so hard to call. Whereas the second match, you were like, John Cena's definitely winning here. It's it's He's getting the win back, without a doubt. And I think that would have annoyed for a fair few people. Now, to this day, you'd agree, for me, it should have been The Rock versus Cena versus CM Punk that year. That's, to me, what should have happened. And yeah. then nobody would have batted an eyelid with the two of them faced each other again the following year. But the fact that it was two years in the bounce, it does sort of—I suppose it does—take the gloss off it a wee bit. But for the actual night itself, it doesn't make a difference because I don't—that will never be top of The atmosphere and all, you know what yourself, it was yeah. sensational.
0: And with with Spud's um, conversation and what and the match that Spud picked, I asked him what would you have done after that was different so obviously the rock was 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 done for a year or for a couple of months until he came back that was it raw 1000 or whatever raw it was i can't remember where it was, it was yeah yeah raw 1000 and but cena cena came out and then there was the stuff with tensai and then there's the stuff with lesnar and he ended up beating lesnar to me that was the wrong decision and I know you can you can have John lose two huge matches back to back I felt he was that big a star at that company he could have done that he could have lost two in a row and it wouldn't have bad an because it was The Rock and because it was Brock but in terms of the aftermath of Wrestlemania would you have done anything different with the booking of Cena or how would you have handled the resulting loss for John Cena
2: um What I would have done personally is, you know the way Brock came out and attacked Cena the night after on Raw? Yeah. I would have had that happen, but I would have written Cena off TV for a few months and then had Brock fight somebody else at Extreme Rules. Yeah. And then you've got Brock's star power there for that pay-per-view and whatever for SummerSlam, but I would have had Cena come back maybe a few months later, and maybe had a wrestling match against him down the line.
0: Yeah, maybe the um, SummerSlam main event, something yeah, like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because it was Brock Triple H uh, instead. Yeah. But you could have done that, maybe. Um, I would have kept seeing it away for a few months. And then even... Do you know what? You could have even written him off TV for, cuts of nearly a year. And maybe... Well, he won that Rumble in 2013 anyway. Yeah. So what you could have done is maybe had him come back as a surprise entrant. And he wins it. And... To me personally, I don't think The Rock should have won the title at the Royal Rumble against CM Punk. I would have actually have had Punk retain, but by a screwy finish because he was a heel Yeah. And then you could have got Rock getting his rematch at the following pay per view, which was Elimination Chamber. Yeah, which they um, they fought
0: at anyway. So you all you're, in a, you're, you're in pretty pretty much just, Yeah, you're just changing yeah. really the outcome of the first one.
2: Yeah. So if you had a change, you could have kept seeing off TV. Had him win the Rumble, if they were going to go down the line of having Rock Cena again, what I would have done is I would have had, if Cena was to win the Rumble, fine. I would have had the Rock lose to Punk, screw finish. But then at Elimination Chamber, the Rock gets a rematch. And then the Rock maybe wins that. But then Punk goes, well, I get an automatic rematch because I was the champion, I've lost. And then if Cena wins the Rumble, challenges the Rock. Punk is like well I've got a rematch so I'm getting in triple threat and then it would have had if Cena won it then that's the way of getting the title off the rock maybe Um,
0: yeah just to see if that just to see if taken yeah. away from that first match with, with the yeah. second yeah I, I would agree I, I still think that was a massive misstep from WWE and um, I know that facing Undertaker as Punk's went on record and saying is no you know it's not a demotion in any aspect but um, he felt he should have been in the main event I think most people would agree that his yeah. years, body of work and where he was positionally in the company, he should have been invented that year and I think he earned his right and should have been in that main event match as a triple threat it's almost like the booking of Wrestlemania 20 with Benoit, Michaels and Triple H you know, the winner of the Rumble there wasn't a decisive winner at the title match and all combinates in Wrestlemania for, for a triple threat and I think the fans would have been Hugely into that match too because of the outcome would have been a little bit more. Hmm, what's going to happen here?
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think now I watched WrestleMania 29 back there uh, a few months ago, and I, okay, like it was enjoyable being at it, but it wasn't in in terms of placing your WrestleManias. WrestleMania 29 wouldn't be very high on people's list I don't think. And the reason being, like. Like was said for WrestleMania 28, calling the Rock John Cena match it was so hard. Like, it was so hard, you didn't know what was going to happen. But for 29, you knew Cena was going to win. Like, you knew that was happening. Yeah. So, it took away that, let me say, like, sort of X factor of that match. And that's why they sort of went for the old, they were literally hitting each other with finatures every five seconds. Yeah. Um, which I didn't mind, to be fair, but you knew Cena was going to win. And it was a similar theme with that pay-per-view. You knew Cena was going to win that match. You knew Undertaker was going to beat Punk. You knew the Triple H was going to get the win back on Lesnar. So it was sort of like a waste of like the three main events where you just had a wee tweak here and a wee tweak there you could have maybe had the triple threat and then people would have been investing it because straight away you knew Cena was gonna win that title like there were at the, at yeah. the odds at Cena at the time was like one to two hundred or something ludicrous.
0: Yeah, and I mean the whole the whole build up to that match from Cena coming in, you know, and, and winning the Rumble and then the whole video package was redemption and I'm getting my win back and my years being awful, there was actually a very laughable moment in that um video package. <laughs> where he's talking about the different things that had happened to him over the year. And he's like, ever since I lost to The Rock, my life's been a tailspin. And it even showed you a clip of his marriage breaking up. And it's like, well, that's not The Rock's fault. But
2: uh, it's, it's not The Rock's fault at all. Like, not, it's not The Rock's fault that uh, there might have been a few extracurricular activities going on. Like, yeah.
0: <laughs> but, you know, like th- that whole video package was all about the redemption of Cena, you know, right away from maybe the rumble you know, the, the promo the next night, well, it's my road to redemption and all this, you thought, okay, well, we know the outcome uh, of Wrestlemania, we know who's closing the show, but um,
2: Oh, absolutely, it was, it was so It, like, it was it, too it obvious. Just, I know a lot of yes, times
0: wrestling I, it, is very obvious about what's going to happen, but this was nailed on 100%ers for their three main events.
2: Oh, yeah, but even the thing that that I think wound so many people up, especially the John Cena detractors, would wind them up in the build of that match is that the way Cena was always like painted as some massive underdog and it's like mate you're John Cena you've, you've won about 20 titles but you know over the last few yeah. years <laughs> like you're um between winning them um, you know tag belts and world belts and all that sort of stuff and it's like mate you've You've got you've won so many gold. Like you're not an underdog at all. Like you've made yeah. a vent at every pay per view. This is not David against Goliath. It's not like Ackerman Stanley playing Barcelona or something like that. Yeah. You know, it's it's uh it's your are John Cena and that was one of the things I could never buy into is being the underdog, like, but you knew that uh, that the rock was gonna lose that one. You knew Cena was gonna get the win back and sort of like place him as an equal alongside the rock. But the people, let's be honest, people don't care about that much. They care about the main one, which was the first one.
0: Yeah, but that that is the the, the the sort of funny factor in all this, I think, is to me the only thing that takes away from the first one is the once in a lifetime. I think it was a brilliant tagline for the event, but if they were going to do it again, do don't, don't use it. And then the second one's fine, is is totally my opinion. But the fact they use once in a lifetime is to me the only detractor from the second one. Um but going back to what what you said there about John being an underdog, it's it's funny that when when we reviewed Spud's match and there and it was relation to CM Punk and John Cena, Punk actually said in the build up to that money in the bank match, it's um you've become what you hate. You're a dynasty. You're the ten-time champion," he says. You, into baseball terms, you're the New York Yankees, and it's it's totally true. You know, the the paint Johnson as an underdog was totally. It was silly. It was silly from a booking standpoint. It was silly from a creativity standpoint. It was silly from. I, I just I, it just never made sense, and it didn't it didn't it it didn't bring any more mystique or any more. Oh, I wonder what could happen to this main event because it was very clear what was happening in this main event, regardless of how they pushed it and how they promoted it.
2: Yeah, I, I don't get it at all. It's it's like listen, you might be able to convince six year old children that John Cena is an underdog, but you're not going to be able to convince a hardcore wrestling fan that John Cena is an underdog when he is literally like the machine that is, you know, being the face of the company for what at that stage, 2012 for a good six years
0: yeah
2: do you know what I mean it's like there's no point trying to pull the wool over people's eyes they're not that stupid but then WWE has a habit of thinking the fans are stupid when they're clearly not and just trying to get away with that and it's like nah it doesn't work (laughs) John Cena is not an underdog at
0: all yeah well Neil it's been an absolute pleasure as always and this completes our favourite match conversation and um, we look forward to having you on next
2: time thank you very much for having me it's been a pleasure as always
0: thank you for listening to the podcast with me your host darren please follow us on instagram and twitter at the podcast thanks for your time stay safe and tune in next time